0: Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the campaign podcast. It's Wednesday, the 6th of July, and tonight, England's mighty Lionesses kick off the UEFA Women's Euro 2022 football tournament against Austria. England enter the tournament among the favourites and, just whisper it, there is plenty of hype and anticipation that football may well be coming home this time. However, there is also plenty of interest in what is happening off the pitch leading into this tournament. This Euros has attracted incredible public and commercial attention, with brands backing the Lionesses and other teams in droves rarely seen before in women's sport. Today, we're going to discuss why brands are attracted to the Euros, how they are activating and what this means for women's football. And a bit later on, we'll also discuss a government proposal to encourage brands to divert their marketing and advertising spend into price cuts an idea that hasn't gone down too well in our industry. Joining the campaign podcast today is Campaign's Deputy Editor, Gemma Charles, Pitch Marketing Group founder and CEO, Henry Chappell, and Copper90 Global Head of Strategy, Paolo Niedu. Before we kick off, I want to point out that we did invite several women, including agency leaders and sports marketing experts, to join our podcast today, but they weren't available. In fact, some were busy working on the Euros itself. Now, Paolo, uh, Copa90 is a fan-first football media company and you've worked with brands like Pepsi, Sports Direct, Nike and others to connect brands with football fans in recent years. How much interest have you observed from brands in women's football leading into the Euros? Interesting question. So I guess
1: I think reversing back, I think probably just after the World Cup in France 2019, Mm -hmm. that's when we start to see... Brands really properly leaning in with the view of a euros coming to obviously the UK as well. Um, but what we've seen is the brands that are in men's football, someone like a Pepsi, we've we've helped guide them, uh, informed their decisions in terms of taking up the women's side of the sponsorship uh, with UEFA, um, and actually trying to give them sort of the, the the foundations to do it properly. And I think we're going to see um, another raft of brands. Seeing the Euros and going, do you know what, women's football is an opportunity here. Um, and we talked about this before in terms of the investment you have to make into men's football and the kind of the <laughs> the uh, the levels of awareness and stuff you have to you have to deal with. I think with women, the women's game, it's actually far more interesting for brands because it's an opportunity to innovate, right? You don't have to copy what the men's game has done. So the likes of a Visa that, that you know sponsor the men's World Cup and also you know the women's game as well. Um, for them, I think it's another opportunity to kind of properly look at how they do football. Um, as a big global corporation, but in general, I think the euros itself has seen a lot of brands just enter the market in terms of being a football you wouldn 't expect Lego to be part of the <laughs> the football conversation mm. they 're sponsoring the euros Pandora another brand you wouldn 't expect them to kind of um be part of the euros and here they are kind of sponsoring the euros so i think I think we 're seeing um brands lean into the game that you wouldn 't necessarily expect but they've got to do it in the right way because I think sponsorship of football, especially women's football, you can't just copy and paste what the men's game has done. You've got to look at it in a very unique way and look at the game and really understand it before you can really do something special and and, and um, I suppose help drive its evolution really.
0: Okay. we'll, we'll come into in terms of how you activate and, and what's the right way to do it in, in, a bit later on. Henry, you you won Pitch uh, Marketing Group and you've been sort of kicking about football for quite a long time now. In your opinion, there's been a lot of hype and interest, especially in terms of ticket sales and, and that sort of stuff. The Lionesses in their own rights now are all household names. It, it feels like this is, this is a really important moment um, for the evolution of women's football. Are brands following this, are, are we seeing a, a really elevated level of brand interest in your opinion?
2: Yeah, and um, yeah, just, to, just to provide the context, I mean, pitches a business I I, I founded uh, 20 years ago this year. And this month is our 20th anniversary. Happy birthday. Thank you. And, and in fact, we've got our 20th anniversary uh, uh, party tonight with a live screening of, of the opening game. And, and we, we've chosen to do that partly because, you know, we've been lucky enough to be on the journey of women's football, women women's sport more broadly, but women's football in particular for many years. Um, we've worked with the FA on multiple women's campaigns over the years. Um, we 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 helped them launch the Women's Super League back in the day, uh, and we've we've worked with um, uh, many brands in, involved in women's football. As the sport, you know, bit by bit, year on year, has just has just achieved sort of compound growth. Mm. It hasn't been overnight. It's it's been coming steadily. It's it's been building steadily, and and there's been there's been many people who've sort of dedicated much of their careers to that, and many of them have done fantastic job and and so it's interesting as we now sit here on the eve of the women's euros which does seem like uh a, a sort of fork in the road yeah. for, for, for 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 women's football in this country and i think that's because you you have now got women's euros taking place in a ma in a in a major uh european market a major football market football mad market a sports event mad market with with a with a really exciting team yeah um and and in a chance for them to to go sort of deep into the tournament, and as we've seen, you know brands from you know across the spectrum, not just sponsoring but engaged in in brand building activation campaigns off the back of it, uh, and and so it is exciting. You know, it's exciting for all of us in the industry working on it in one way or another, uh, and it's definitely exciting for people who are involved in the women's fo- women's football game and and I, and I think you know I think it's going to be a great opportunity most importantly, it's going to be great for fans of all ages and, and men and women to mm. engage in something I'm sure it's going to be a fen- phenomenal tournament um but for brands I, I think they have realized that what the women's uh, football does or particularly uh, you know major women's football tournament such as this it gives them an opportunity I think to to run campaigns that are can be seen as a force for good. That can drive societal change, can have some purpose. And therefore, it's actually a gives them a, a, a richer territory than perhaps the Men's World Cup later this year. Mm. You know, so I think that's why it's interesting. You see these campaigns are, are doing some, some more interesting, more thought-provoking things than perhaps you know, me, you know the Men's World Cup, which, which also, by the way, is, is quite, you know, is quite a controversial <laughs> World Cup, isn't it? You <laughs> know, it, com- it comes with its issues. Whereas this is a fantastic opportunity for brands. And And I've seen that with the work that we've done with BT and EE, who are, of course, you know, the the lead sponsor of the Lionesses and have been for, you know, as part of their long term deal with the FA. You know, they're going to activate more around the women's Euros than they are are around the men's World Cup this year. I
1: love what you just said there, Henry, The, um, the, the, the opportunity for brands. I think the difference between the men's and the women's game is the difference is they're making a difference. Right. It's so yeah. actually them investing in it and using it as a as a means to kind of spread a message of positivity. That's the difference between what, you know, men's game, you're not necessarily doing that. You're kind of no. trying to get the exposure. Right. Mm. It
2: is. It's, men's more just purely the eye the opportunity of exactly. eyeballs, whereas this this comes with more than that. But of course, the tipping point is, is that you now get the eyeballs as well yes with women with women's football and you know obviously we've seen that with over half a million tickets being yep. uh sold and 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 the, the audience figures that they're expected to get and that, and i say, particularly if the tournament really delivers as i'm sure it will do mm. you know that if it, if it, come to the, if it comes to the comes to the the Lioness is reaching reaching the final, you know that that is going to be a sort of London 2012 Super Saturday moment, isn't it? Sure, you know, and you know you, you do need the sport to deliver, <laughs> you know. Obviously, um, if that comes together, that's where you kind of get this the opportunity for you know that huge audiences that you can reach, as as well as the as well as the pos- positivity and positive messages that you can that the brands can lean into.
0: Okay. In terms of the brands that are now supporting women's sport, uh, just to give our listeners a bit of context in terms of my career, I started off as a football reporter. I used to report about women's football many years ago, and I've followed it very closely ever since. And and back in the old days, um, it it very much used to be a case of if a big brand would support men's football – um, at a, certainly at a national level, that probably also support the women's team. But it, it seemed like a bit of an add-on type thing. Um, I'm, I'm interested in looking at the dynamic of the brands that are supporting women's football. How many are just doing it pure as pure play women's football versus football in general? Um, have you got a sense of that? Are we seeing a lot more just gen- genuine interest in women's football?
2: I do not think there's, there are many just doing women's football. I think... Um, they tend to all come as part of a of a deal with with both. I mean, it's so, some brands I think are, uh, are probably focusing on it, you know, j- just as much. But I can't think of uh, any significant brands that are, are just doing women's football. Um, I've seen a bit of that, like Boots and M&S, mm. you know, you can see them doing their partnerships with the FA yeah. there the the women's football may well have been a catalyst for doing it. I, I wasn't involved in those deals. Mm. So you, you might, if you were to talk to them, they might say, that's the reason we have done it. But I, I, I don't think their rights are just with women's football because no. I think it, it, they, come, they come together like that. And, um, but, but, but I suspect that's what may come, you know, the next, the next phase of this in terms of brands probably just doing women's football partnerships. I think, um, I, think
1: it, it, I totally agree. I think it depends on the level of the brand. So if you're looking at a global conglomerate like a PepsiCo, you know, it makes sense for them to look at the entire game. Going forward, when UEFA and FIFA start to look at the sponsorship packages and the deals that they've got in place commercially, it might be, to your point, Henry, that the Brands want to go, do you know what? We just want the women's bit because it's far more sort of um, efficient for us. There's more opportunity for us. But for the moment, I think generally you're looking at football brands that
0: do both. Yeah, it's an interesting point you guys raised. I want to talk a little bit about the value equation. Uh, what value do you see brands getting out of these partnerships in women's football? Now, you mentioned before, both of you mentioned before how it, it, you know there is more opportunity for brands to actually be a force for good. Um, I don't mean to sound patronising, but when you invest more in women's football, it feels like you're supporting the, the sport more than, than, say, you might do in men's. But what are, the, what are the some of the other opportunities that brands are really getting you know, yeah. from, from these sort of packages?
1: I think um, to kind of look at the future of women's football, you have to look at the past, right, and how it has played second fiddle to the men's game, both commercially and on the pitch. And I think what brands are getting from getting involved in the women's game is an opportunity to speak to a whole audience that has never been spoken to before through football, right? So if you look at someone like a Nike or a Sports Direct, um, there's a whole, half the planet <laughs> ultimately haven't had an opportunity to truly kind of get involved in the game, support it in the, in the way, same way as the men's game. So ultimately, you're opening up a whole new audience, ultimately, to, to, to buy your products, to see your brand, to kind of build that affinity over time. The value in terms of um, where it is at the moment, the audience is growing but it's not quite at the men's level yet. But if you're a foundational brand and you're here now, in the future, five years' time, you're going to reap the benefits. So it has to be a long game. It can't. You cannot, as a brand, you cannot just go, right, I'm just going to show up in these tournaments and then bugger off again. Mm. There's a really interesting ad in America um, from Budweiser, I don't know if you've seen this, um, and it was after the women's national team in the US won the World Cup. And it was all about the realities and the uncomfortable truth that when they return back to their clubs, not that many people are watching them. You know, they had millions and millions of fans supporting them through the journey of the World Cup. They win it and then they go back to their kind of normal clubs of the reality. Um, no one, not, many, not as many people are watching and they sort of committed to the fact that we don't stop watching and actually saying to fans... Just because your hero is now back in uh, their normal lives doesn't mean you can just turn away. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's if you use that as almost a metaphor for brands, if you're going to be in it, you've got to commit to it. And then that commitment will get value from a commercial level, from audience kind of growth and all that sort of stuff. So for me, I think it's, it is about the long game and the value you're going to get will be, you know, commercially will come back to you if you can commit
0: over the long term. Okay. I guess, Henry, as well, if you look at how cluttered the women's game is compared to men's, then there must surely be some opportunities there as well. You know, you're going you know, to have much more prominent... Um, how, how cluttered it is, or uncluttered. Sorry, how uncluttered. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the men's game is extremely cluttered when it comes to sponsors. I mean, you look at Premier League yeah. clubs alone, they have you know, dozens of sponsors each. Whereas in the women's game, surely if you are a brand that's prominent in the women's game, you you, you get a lot more cut through.
2: Yeah, It's interesting because I I just was actually reflecting this tournament that the Women's Euros. It starts to look quite cluttered actually, Mm, because because there's quite a few brands Mm. with similar campaigns already. You know, if you look at um, say the Volkswagen and the Heineken campaigns for this Women's Euros, they're both they're both sort of trying to tackle similar areas uh, about sort of gender bias and language. And um, the Heineken campaign is called, you know, the, the 12th woman campaign and uh, the Volkswagen campaign is not women's football, both trying to address the fact that in the Volkswagen's case, they're claiming people shouldn't call it women's football. It's just football. And Heineken's campaign, we shouldn't call it the 12th man, we should call it the 12th woman. And so so this, you see two, um, you know, sort of big pan-European brands, both of whom had a long term association with men's football you know both of them you know one two of the biggest sponsors of men's football over the years now now tackling women's football I I'm I'm not sure they're they're the strongest of campaigns we're going to see in the women's euros compared to the, the work of eE or sports direct or others you know we'll sure we'll come on to talk about them but that's illustrating the fact that they're, they're, you know there's already a bit of sort of uh clutter in the activation area or something similar and, and definitely when you look at the list of of commercial partners, both of, of the tournaments itself and and of uh, the, the FA, obviously the governing body of football here in the UK with women's football, it, it's starting to look like a longer list. But yeah, it, it's, still, it's still not as many partners as there are in, in men's football. So it's probably still a bit there's still a bit more space. But it is, it is the issue in sports generally. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. a lot of brands do it because, you know, I would say this, I run an agency which for 20 years has been working in this space, doing very successful sports marketing activations. We think it's a great way to reach Huge audiences. And so, yes, you're going to be competing with other brands, but I feel there's plenty of opportunity if you can get your, you know, get your creative right, get your activation mm-hmm. right. And, 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 you know, and, you know, that's, uh, and I think that's definitely the case with women's football and it, it will be for some years to come because it is a growth story. There's going to be new things. There are new stars appearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, just from an ROA point of view, the other, the other issue about it is, you know, it, it is a lot more cost effective than men's football because a commercial deal in women's football is, you know, does come with a lower rights fee, uh, and 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 that that will be the case. And it's just reflective of the fact it still doesn't quite have the same scale of audience, the same reach, and mm. uh, and so again, that's the opportunity. The, the you know the entry price is left for brands. You know, because because uh, particularly at club club football, I think you that, that's what's going to be interesting to see what happens. How many brands then beyond this start to do more in. In, in club football and, and here in the UK, particularly with the, the new plans the FA have got for the Women's Super League, which is now going to be set up as a separate entity. Uh, and so it's going to be more commercialisation there. And, and definitely there will be more space for brands to to get involved, um, you know, beyond the Euros here.
3: Henry, you mentioned some examples of work there. Um, can we look at some other examples? I mean, what kind of um, activations have brands been doing around the tournament?
2: Well, I mean, the... the, the, the the, the campaign that we've been most involved in at Pitch is um, uh, EE's campaign, not her, her problem, which is which is interesting because this isn't um, this is a follow-on from a very successful campaign that um, we worked with them on um, around um, the men's Euros last year, uh, which was was the first of Hope United campaign, which was tackling the issue of um, uh, racial abuse o- online. Uh, that, in many, that that is particularly pervasive uh, around football mm-hmm. uh, and, and sport you know obviously, you know it's it is an issue that happens on a obviously daily basis um, around life in general but it it's it's particularly prevalent um uh, around football and and so it
3: cut through really well for them. Um, one of the marketing directors said that.
2: So. Yeah, it did. It really resonated. It was, it was based on some, you know, some proper research they'd done to understand the issue around it. Obviously, EE and BT, obviously, are, you know, tech brands and brands involved in, you know, t- t- telecommunications. So, you know, it was it was very relevant for them to tackle it. And as the lead, as a lead sponsor of of the England team and men's and women's team in the FA, it was again, it was right for them to be doing it. You know, they had. There was there was a reason for why they should should be doing it, and obviously they got the um, the England team on board and used them in a very effective way. And I, I mean, sadly, it was it was pathetic, wasn't it? You know, because obviously what happened with yeah. that, you know, with you know with, but you know, the the players, who, particularly who missed penalties in, in the final again, you know, you know, somewhat Immense predictably, problem. were subject to you know vile and totally you know unacceptable online abuse and so it's it's a it's a horrible issue that's you know sort of seems to be particularly bad in this country and it's you know it's it's it was I think for a brand like ee to bit to address that in the way that they did and I think I think they did they did it they tried to do it in a, in a way that was hope not hate that 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 campaign so it was it was trying to be positive uh, and to to shine a light on the issue but address about how you can how, how people can approach it differently and it, it was very very effective for them it, it tracked really well and so it was it was perhaps understood understandable that their marketing team you know wanted to follow on from that and and the actual the ad campaign created by Saatchi and Saatchi I think you'll you'll see not her problem I think is another really really good piece of work it's it's, you know I think it's it's interesting again because it's it's you know it's it's the, the actual creative is you know showcasing all the tough things that women's football have to deal with which absolutely are their problem from yeah. you know the training from having their teeth knocked out to to going to a match day when they they've looking after a child through to perhaps you know having their period whilst they're they're playing sports so these are things which they're going these are all kind of quite graphically shocking things but that's fine we've got you know they are our problem but what's not you know, problem of women's football is dealing with, you know, being abused online. And the research shows that obviously often Almost, it was always men <laughs> do it, undertaking that abuse. Yeah. So, so it's 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 really challenging. It's trying to it's trying to enforce societal change by getting men to rethink what they are yeah. doing. So it, it's quite it's it's more it's more confrontational than the first campaign. So, you when we first sort of saw it and thought that direction of travel? It's like that's that is quite confrontational. But I think the way that they've dressed it again and they've used quite cleverly. The men's football players as well, alongside them, to talk about to, to showcase and Gareth Southgate in in one of the creatives is Gareth Southgate is addressing it, saying, you know, so I think which which helps to sort of soften it, and then you know, and because they've already got that sort of brand equity in the bank with the work they've done with Hope United, I think it, yeah. you see what they're what they're trying to do there. So I think that's a you know, and obviously they're putting a huge amount of media spend behind it, so it'll be very prominent, and I, and I and I do think it's a campaign. That I think will make people address their behavior. And I think if that's if that's the case and, and EE get some credit for that, then I think it'll be very effective. This could be a problem. What?
0: Could be a problem for Lauren James? And their squad grows even stronger. The competition for
2: places heats up. Ah!
3: That's definitely a problem. Ah!
1: What I really love about that that, that execution is you've never we, no brand has really shown female players in that way. It's very jarring. Yes. It's very very like whoa. And I think the way that the campaign and the, the kind of the ad itself flips that negativity in, into a way that actually puts a, puts the players on a pedestal because they are gritty, they are tough, they are they do have to deal with loads of stuff.
2: It's a very, very when I first saw it, I was like, wow.
3: Yeah, the, the, I, wish, you know, I wish we'd
2: done that. The similarity brilliant. is, which again was a campaign again uh, we were involved with back in yeah. the day, was the Channel Four Meet the Superhumans yes. campaign, yes. which was an ad before the Paralympics, which mainly to reposition your yeah, yeah. thinking of 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 uh, disabled athletes and and you know Paralympic athletes, and, mm. and, and but in a way which was it didn't hide it at all, you know, it was, and it yeah. similarly has that sort of that sort of moment which is like, whoa, it it's really really great, yeah. makes you rethink them and 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 therefore your sort of your attitude towards them, and of course that did i think that did change the perception of or that subsequent the paralympics changed the perception of disability yeah. in this country forever you know, yeah. I think it's it still does. It's it's we hope this campaign for EE and and what you know what happens with the Lionesses as the tournament yeah. might, might yeah, change that moving forwards. And I think there's this, the creative treatment of it is similar, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Do you think in terms of what they've done there? But you know, great pieces of work both of them.
0: Yeah, I just want to point out as well that Sachi and Sachi was the creative agency that helped out with that campaign. Is that right? Yeah, Sachi
2: yeah. and Sachi did all the creative for EE, both the Hope United and, and this and the Channel Four campaign was created in house. I think back back in the day, if I remember rightly. But yeah, Saatchi and Saatchi are um, a BTE's creative agency and they've done a phenomenal job on it. Huh.
3: Paolo, would you like to give some examples of work that you've um, liked?
1: So um, Sports Direct um, is a campaign that, that we created at Copper 90 It's called Girls Don't Like Football, we love it. And similarly to the EE um, piece of creative, it all comes and stems from a, from a genuine cultural truth. This idea that girls who do Love football are often asked, "Do you actually like football?" And it actually came from um, uh, a lot of focus groups and workshops we did with fans. And actually, we we talked about kind of you know uh, the female side of it. What happens when you say you talk, you know, you, you love football, and, and they, they get this reaction? And we actually put that in front of um, Becky Stanyan who's the CMO of Fraser's Group, part of um, Sports director part of that 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 group. And we asked her, what's it like to be a senior woman in sports from a marketing perspective? And she said, "You the amount of stuff I have to deal with in terms of men looking at me going, do you actually like football? Do you actually like sport? It's a, it's an inherent truth that, that happens throughout society. So we wanted to flip that on its head, right? And actually go, well, do you know what? Girls don't like football. They love it. And actually celebrate that brilliant sort of energy that exists within this country and use the Euros as a springboard to then get more young ballers female ballers to actually take up the game, become a fan, play whatever it is and do it in a way that it just feels like it's, it's a shift away from this notion of, you know, girls can't enjoy the sport because they can. And it doesn't just have to be women's football. It can be all of football. So we were, we're really, really happy with kind of the, the way that all panned out, the little Easter eggs and the people in it and the feet, you know, you've got Sam Kerr and you've got Emma Hayes, you've got some of the best players you're going to see in the Euros, all, all kind of featuring, um, we believe it's going to really shift the dial in terms of the women's game going forward in this country. There's more stuff to come as the tournament plays out, but um, I think Sports Direct have, 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 have entrusted us to bring something to life that's so important for their brand. Because again, going back to kind of the, the opportunity there, they're opening up the brand to a whole new audience now. The men's game is saturated from a from a from a commercial level because they've probably reached the most amount of uh, men they're they're ever going to do. In the future, you've got this whole new audience of young girls who are going to be speaking to their parents and go, right, I need to get a pair of football boots, sports director, that place.
3: Girls don't like football. We don't like gold. Ellen! We don't like techers. We don't like... Silverware! We don't like watching England...
2: Tonally, the campaign is absolutely spot on. Mm. I think it really captures the moment. And I think, I mean, particularly as the tournament goes on and on. And mm. then, as you know, these tournaments, the sort of hype and hysteria builds, doesn't it? And I can see that the Sports Direct ad airing around you know a semi-final or a final I think it's going to be a really positive moment absolutely and, and really cap I think it really does will really capture the the mood of the nation I think yeah. that's when these the, that's the opportunity for these for these campaigns I think when you really capture the mood of the nation and you know it worked. I mean I, I know it's not on topic but I was noticing that Emma Raducanu HSBC ads around Wimbledon and so they're still running and obviously she was just knocked, knocked out that. last week you know and it still feels a bit like oh god you got you know you're pretty probably yeah you know when a bit too sort of hard on that whereas I think yeah. I think you can see that um you know that, that this is likely to sort of come together with what, what sort of what's happening on the pitch and in the tournament and and indeed sort of in the uh pubs and and living rooms up and down the country Absolutely. you know over the next Sorry, few weeks. You, you touched on something quite interesting there about what 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 does this
1: actually mean I think I think we found from our research as part of the Sports Direct's um campaign that actually all the athletes all the fans feel like Euro 2022 is about playing for the legacy of the game. They understand and, under- and really deeply understand actually that by performing well on the pitch, making sure that women's game is seen and celebrated in the right way can drive huge momentum in the future. So you talked about the WSL next season. the, the most, The league with the most amount of players in the Euros People will be able to go and see Chelsea at Kingstonian's ground. They'll be able to watch Sam Sam Kersh, not playing the Euros. They'll be able to watch Frank Kirby. The access to it is so is so is so different to the men's game, right? You can watch the you know the superstars of the world, and then. You know, a couple of months' time, go and watch them literally be meters away from them. And it's, that's
2: the sort of difference there. Just the sport itself does need to sort itself out in terms yes. of being that they need to be able to see them at Stanford Bridge, 100%. Not, you know, and that's a different, yeah. That's, yeah. A different <laughs> that's a different subject. Well, but we'll, the, come to, we'll come to yeah. that in, in yeah. a little
0: bit. I just want to just sort of pick you up a little bit, Paolo, uh, yeah. in terms of great creative. You shared an ad before yes. um, from Nike, which I yes. thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, did, you, did you want to just describe yeah. that one? So, um, <sighs>
1: in typical Nike style, it's about, um looking at the women's game through a very authentic but celebratory lens um very similar to ee it shows the grit it shows the passion and it shows a a side of the game that i don't think um many brands have the right to kind of go into and what it does it presents the game in a way that is um inspiring not just to female ballers but to the likes of myself and i'm sure other males you look at it and go it's incredible skill you know, it, it kind of leans into the fandom. It leans into the passion that sits around the game. It leans into the stuff that sits in fashion and, you know, um, that's that side of it. Before that campaign was launched in terms of the film itself, Nike did a whole load of outdoor and out of home executions. The classic sort of media context with the message aligned completely. So my favourite one was... Uh, Big projection, Lucy Bronze on Battersea Power Station. Copy says, you've never seen power like this. Brilliant, right? Yep. Um, And um, for me, that's an amazing way of putting these players and positioning them as icons, as heroes. You know, there's a a phrase that goes around the kind of industry talking about if you can't see it, you can't be it. And now, you know, finally... Younger ballers, younger fans can look at these players and go, Nike are treating them like absolute global superstars, which they are. Which they are, yeah. Which absolutely. they are, right? And actually seeing this can just create. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, but like, you know, you're seeing that might make 10, 15, 20, 100 girls go, do you know what? Football's for me. I feel confident enough now that I can yeah. step forward and be the next um, Lucy Bronze, right? Um, and brands kind of it was like Nike doing that, just, just, just. Creates that momentum, and to what I was saying earlier about the difference is they're making a difference, you know, and, and treating it in that way is, is the right way.
0: Yeah, uh, I just want to also ask you—you you mentioned before, before this um, podcast, mm. um, when we're having a chat about the evolution of yes. creative around women's football. Yes, would you like to elaborate on that point yeah. and how, where it's got to now?
1: Yeah, so I guess if you if you reverse back before the Women's World Cup in 2019, in France, the way we were sort of seeing narrative sort of play out was very much about this idea of um, women fighting to play because of all the kind of barriers they've faced, um, the leagues not supporting them, federation not supporting them. When we got to the World Cup, it got to a point where it felt like the narrative shifted to more like, let's celebrate the brilliance of these athletes, right? Um, And then empowerment was, um, I suppose, the sort of the zone that we were kind of seeing and the narrative that we were seeing um, from brands and media alike, now i believe we're moving into a slightly different phase which is about celebrating the sport and celebrating the brilliance of these athletes and celebrating the passion of the fans that sit around it um so when we start to see you know the campaigns from ee and the, the and Heineken i think going forward i think brands have to be a bit more confident about the sport and go Do you know what this is football right and while those issues are societal issues, you know we've got racism, we've got gender misogynistic abuse online. They are, they are, they are problems of society, and I think the sport to evolve needs to be moving into this much more sort of driven by the kind of brilliance of the athletes and the brilliance of of, of the game itself. Um, and I hope, I hope brands have the confidence to kind of lean into it that way. Um, one of the things that came out of the research we did for Sports Direct was really interesting where some of the fans were really frustrated that the women's game is marketed like a family day out and they said that's actually mm. blocking it and making it feel like a diet version of the men's game. Now, it's interesting because I went to the Arsenal-Barcelona game in the Champions League. I'm an Arsenal fan. Arsenal got absolutely tonked. It was 4-0 to buy. Bar- I, was, was like, was, I was just amazed at how good Barcelona were. Yeah. There was one point where Jordan Knobs got smashed by one of the um, Barcelona defenders and I stood up and shouted and protested as if I was watching the men's game. And I looked around me and I felt a bit awkward because no one else was doing that. And I was like, hang on a minute, but I, I'm, I'm just acting like I would at the Emirates normally, right? <laughs> um, but then I looked around and everyone's staring at me going, what's that guy doing? Why is he being so passionate? Yeah. And so for me, that just encapsulates what I just said about the research there. It's like the women's game needs to feel, there needs to be a tribalism. There needs to be that competitive... Essence in the crowd, and the you know, and I, and I appreciate the kids are there and stuff like that. But for me, until the women's game and fans behave in that way and feel free to behave that way, I just think it's gonna people are gonna go, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's just it's just a, a sort of um wa- watered down version of the men's game. Yeah. So I, there's, there's there's some interesting layers in there. Yeah, that the, I think
2: mm, it's I totally um understand what you're saying, and and, and it is right. But the the it's like issues is that the people who've supported women's football today. And one of the reasons why the core fans of women's mm. football, who who actually the match going fans, one of the reasons they have been going is because there isn't yes the negativity yes. and the uh, associated with men's football. Mm. It's more inclusive. Yeah. It's, 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 it's more, it's more accessible. It's, it's more friendly. Yeah. Mm. And I know that, you know, understandably people involved in you know marketing the women women's game don't want to lose that Mm. you know whilst you know whilst equally accepting they to get you know continue to get broader, broader fans, and for change, it it probably yeah. does need to. I think well, there's, a it, it, there's definitely a balance. Do you see know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, a, there absolutely. is a bit because it's because I, I don't think it ever will be or should be because there's a lot of elements of the men's game which are, which are not you know. Oh, no, 100% like, of no, no, right. uh, men's game. You go men's game, yes, <laughs> that tribalism is right, sort of amazing, but it is it can also can very quickly yeah, yeah. It can be toxic and can go over the edge and obviously and it's there has been a sadly a rise in trouble at football matches again recently, hasn't there? You know, there's uh, at all at all levels, men's football matches and. So I don't, you know, don't think women's football ever wants that to be occurring no. because, you know, because obviously that would that would be a big negative. A okay, good,
1: good example then is the new Camp, right? Barcelona yeah. women. So yes, they, they, yeah. they, bre- they broke the world record twice for yeah. women's, a women's game. Yes, yeah, some tickets were given away like, for free. But 91,000 people and fans in the Barcelona stadium watching that one of the world's best teams. That's, that's I suppose, what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's that It's that absolute passion for their club yeah, and I suppose I, I totally agree with that I think there's a balance there I'm not saying the men's game is perfect at all oh my god it's the it's actually probably <laughs> the, the, the last thing the women's game should be trying to emulate probably
0: not the North Star that we're- exactly <laughs> Some I, I, I suppose my
1: point is if it's marketed in that way, I yeah. just don't think it's gonna grow. And I'm not saying that you people should be shouting and all that sort of stuff, but I think having that edge of competitiveness in the crowd does add to the experience Definitely, of the product. Yeah. And I think I yeah. think
2: that's what this women's euros will see as well, won't it? Because yeah, I think you're gonna get all that incredible noise and vibrancy you get from a major international tournament. I think it's gonna it's gonna be great to yeah. see. You know, not just the action on the pitch, but the atmosphere in the stadiums too.
0: Mm. I just, that's kind of a nice segue, actually, to, to the final point I wanted to raise. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you both, you know, is this women's Euros, do you see it as a real tipping point for women's sport more right. generally, uh, in uh, terms of, especially in terms of the way that brands are, are getting involved?
1: Women's yeah. sports or football? Sport.
0: Well, we can say football and, and sort of branching yeah. out to, to women's yeah. sport. I mean, there are, there are other examples of women's sport mm. also attracting larger crowds
2: yeah i always say with these things that happens more depends what happens afterwards yeah yeah you know and you see it again with say you go back to say the olympics when london 2012 happened and that was a tipping point for sport more broadly Mm. but arguably it wasn't because the follow-through wasn't there and it's harder because it's obviously a multi-sport event and it was very fragmented and the investment and what have you. But say particularly athletics, you'd say, look, at this, look, it looks like, you know, there's not going to be a permanent home for athletics in this country. And, you know, with London Stadium at the Olympic Park, you know, probably no longer having athletics and what have you. So, you know, you could say they sort of missed that opportunity perhaps. Um, whereas I think this is obviously, that's, that's not going to be the case here, I think, because if you've got a singular sport, you know, it's there's – you know, this this isn't just a, a moment, it's just happened from nowhere. This is, this is we've built, been building towards this for many years. And I think there are mm. already, um, you know, many brands who are already committed to women's football long-term.
0: Yeah, if I just give you a final word, pal, in terms of and looking at from a brand's lens as mm. well, how do brands... You know, they're, they're saying this amazing tournament, um, that the Women's Euros, and mm-hmm. how do we, how do, does the code then capitalise and make sure these brands are there for the journey and they attract yeah. new brands um to support the domestic league and, and yeah. grassroots and that sort of stuff.
1: I think, I think to, to Henry's point, yeah. I think it, it, it we know international tournaments are tentpole moments that kind of create this catalyst of interest, right? But it's absolutely right. It's what happens afterwards. It's it's it's, it's that it's that long tail and the commitment, and I think. I think the euros will show us that the demand certainly in this country is there. It will give brands the confidence to know that that demand is there mm. and it's about then leaning in and going Do you know what we are going to commit our you know x amount amount of our marketing budget in in sport to doing this. And it's about showing their audiences that actually women's football is a normal thing and actually we're going to commit to kind of supporting it and and driving it forward and you know, it would be, I'd love to see one day the likes of a Pepsi spend as much they, as they do on mm. male talent as they do female talent. And we've talked, that's something we've talked about. Um, you know, we, we recommended Lucy Bronze, who said, we, you've got to sign her up before the, you know, a couple of years ago before the Euros happened. She's appeared in, in, in our ads for with Messi and Ronaldinho. It was mentioned in the Alex Scott BBC documentary last night, in fact, you know, if, if players are seeing these, their peers kind of getting these sponsorship deals. And I think, from a player perspective, they, they need to be treated like elite athletes, like the men's side. You know, getting 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 those deals, getting those sponsorships, getting those opportunities to show who they are off the pitch as well. And I think we're moving towards that. And I think there's so much that can still be done in the women's game that if brands are properly committed, they will see the, the returns in the long term. And I think it, it is definitely about that long tail post-tournament yeah, don't just walk away from it, and go right, that was done, we've done women's football now. No, you've got you've got to st- stay in it, commit to it and 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 don't don't let <laughs> don't let women's football be the first thing that falls off the marketing plan.
0: yep, okay, fantastic. Yeah. Paolo and Henry, thank you so much for joining the campaign podcast. Thank you. Thank you no much. problem, thank you. Um Gemma's going to stick around and after a short break, we're going to turn our attention to a new government campaign that has puzzled Adland. Last week, the government leaked a proposal to the media that it is planning to encourage businesses to divert its marketing budgets away from marketing and advertising and into price cuts on products and services for consumers. Gemma, you were here when Campaign wrote the story last week. Uh, what are some details of this proposal?
3: Yes, so this is about trying to get businesses to help consumers with the cost of living crisis. Uh, so there are some things that have been said officially by the government's cost of living czar. There's always a czar, isn't there? Yep. <laughs> uh, this is David Buttriss in this case, who's a former Just Eat CEO. So, and then, but there are also some things that have been floated by the government. So, <laughs> let me just divide it up a bit. We do know there will be a campaign, which will have an official name and branding, because um, Buttriss uh, did confirm this, and which is all um, based around helping out during tough times. And it's due to run this month, though. With the, the with the way that things are changing, uh, let's let's see whether it does. Yeah, it's all a bit up in the air. But as of last week, it was due to be running this month. So we shall see. We shall see. Um, and then this is where it gets a little bit murky. There were government sources, uh, to use the parlance, that floated this idea that businesses should also be diverting marketing spend into price cuts.
0: Yeah, I mean, and just just for context, we're, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, which is the day after Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid um, resigned from cabinet uh, and quite a number of other ministers um, are thinking about resigning as well. So we actually don't know what's going to happen um, with the government. It's all very uncertain at the moment. Why do you think, Gemma, the government is proposing this?
3: Well, I mean, aside from all the current woes, um, tackling the cost of living crisis, is one of the biggest issues. Um, it's the one that's affecting consumers who are, of course, voters. So um, it's not surprising that they'd be kind of trying out a range of initiatives to see what they can do to help with this. I suppose a cynic might say that there, there could possibly be a, a sort of distraction uh, tactic with this as well, but um, I, I will not say that, but mm. <laughs> that's certainly been um, uh, flagged as well.
0: Yeah, now it's fair to say that uh, quite a number of people in the industry we've spoken to um, are not particularly pleased about this campaign. Um, I I might just read out um, just a few comments that we've received so far. Uh, Mediacom's EMEA strategy lead James Turner told us, what the government is doing is publicly passing responsibility onto businesses to stop prices rising. Asking them to cut their nose off to spite their face shows the simplistic ignorance they have to how business and marketing works. It's another example of the short-termism that's endemic within our industry and society. Um, Richard Morris, who's the CEO of IPG Media Brands in the UK and Ireland, said... It will drive inequality and favor those larger businesses that can afford to cut prices in the short term at the cost of those smaller margin pressured businesses already having to face an existential threat created by a recessive economy. The notion that it is discretionary cost that can easily be transitioned into a price cut is too simplistic and outmoded. Advertising is a proven growth driver and as such, any reduction will restrict Growth. Now, Phil Smith, who is Isbar's director general, um, also sort of echoed that sentiment. What is most worrying about the government, he said, um, are suggestions that they appear to show a fundamental lack of how advertising works. Sounds like pretty fair comments. I mean, it it does really feel like a really short term sort of populist play, doesn't it?
3: I would say this in terms of having a campaign that gives kudos to businesses that are helping consumers during these tough times. I actually don't think that's a bad idea. Now, one of the examples um, in David Buttress's speech to the CBI, one of the examples he gave um, was how Greg's is helping to supply kids' breakfast clubs with food that would otherwise go to waste. So something like that, I'm all in favour of recognising mm. good work like that. But then, with this price cut suggestion, I guess I do, I do very much agree with um, what Phil Smith's saying because it, it does just show a sort of, sort of lack of understanding of how um, marketing and advertising works and how it can sort of drive ROI.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I think there is also that that whole idea that sure, maybe some of the larger, massive corporations can afford to absorb some of this, you know, this, this sort of idea um, of diverting marketing spend, but. You know, loads of smaller businesses they rely on marketing so much and advertising, and if, if you start you know turning off those taps, it will have a detrimental impact on their short term results. Which which for many businesses in in this current climate could be could prove fatal.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I've got one other comment as well from uh the business leader. That's um Zoe Harris, mm-hmm. who's the on the beach CMO, and I, I just want to read it out because I thought it was quite amusing. So she says that if price cuts align with your strategic positioning, then why not? But then she adds, if you're only doing it as a tactic to get into Boris's good books and onto his honours list, then forget it. In a race to the bottom, there are always more losers than winners.
0: That's very true. And I think anyone who's trying to get into Boris's good books right now is probably backing the wrong horse. Well, Gemma, thank you so much for joining us. And also, thanks once again to Paolo and Henry. Um, if you'd like to read more about what the industry thinks of diverting marketing spend into price cuts or the latest women's Euros campaigns, please subscribe to Campaign at www.campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. Likewise, if you enjoy this podcast, please share and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, thank you to our producer Aidan Lyons from Breathing Audio and to all of you, our listeners, for joining us. I wish the Lions the very best of luck. Let's hope they bring football home. Until next time, on behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.